previously on the Project Umbrella podcast. The biohazard one genuinely scared the shit out of me at points. Every blonde since Harry Potter 4 has been speculated as Cherry, even as Allison. Pick the girl in Resident Evil 6 is Ashley Graham. Slant 6 happened to be walking by and I prostituted her to Slant 6. You also have to give Richard Aiken mouth to mouth, don't you? I'll be fucking shocked if no one has been able to search for anything on Project Umbrella since 2009. I think they probably made a bit of a tip with that. Chris is semen? I just want to apologise for that stupid retarded voice I did a few minutes ago. I didn't notice yeah. any difference. <laughs> Excellent. And welcome to episode two of the Project Umbrella podcast, where our plan to uncover the truth is far more feasible than Clive O'Brien's. And when we talk about canon, we don't leave it to an American developer to fuck it up. Hello, I'm Nick, better known as Neptune, and joining me on the podcast today is Newsbot. Hello. George Trevor. Good evening. The Batman. Hello. And we also have joining us today for the first time, fellow staff member of Project Umbrella, and generally all-round legend, staff member of Project Umbrella. Nearly 500 posts. Regular editor and contributor to the Resident Evil community. Expert in both beta and unreleased games. From Colombia, it's Ridley. Hey, everybody. Hey. Hey, Mauricio. It's my first time, so I don't know how this works. I was going to say something. Uh, on the last podcast, Ink, you said something about some face on the mansion. Um, yes, did what? you see it? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Another background from Resident Evil 3. It's an actual face. Listeners of the last podcast will hear me going on a little a little rant about how you can see a face in Biohazard 1 and the archway being the main boss. Uh, Ridley... <laughs> <laughs> no, Ridley's just sent me a pic. This is from Biohazard 3, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. It's from... Do you remember Fison Street? Fison, yeah. It's one on... you get after you get out of the warehouse where Dario dies. Yeah, yeah. There, there's, I'm actually looking at. There is actually a picture of a human face randomly in the sky. In the sky. Yeah. Is this at the uh, beginning of the game, and you just come out from right at the beginning? Right in the beginning. It's just face in the sky. That's all. It's very odd. I'll try and send it to you. This makes excellent podcasting. Um, <laughs> Exciting. Coming up on today's show, we'll be looking at the recent news in the Resident Evil world and community, including some site news on top. 
we're going to have a quick preview of Operation Raccoon City and following that's the main discussion of the podcast, the brilliant Resident Evil revelations. And we'll finish, of course, with Neptune Newsy's Biohazard Quiz. So we'll crack on straight with the news. First thing um, we can discuss, the uh, Resident Evil 1 Game Boy Color version is available to download on The Horror Is Alive, if you want to do that. Has anyone done that? What sort of file does this download at? Because I tried these old games before to download, and I don't. I always seem to find I don't have the right emulator. Or um... I haven't looked at it. I just thought it'd be quite interesting because obviously since um, we had a quick discussion on Resident Evil DS last night. Uh, last Was it completed though that game? It looks it. I don't think it is. I think the only baddies in it are zombies. Oh right, okay. Could be wrong. Okay. Uh, other news come out. A bit more Resident Evil 6 news has entered into the uh, domain, namely that it's about 50% complete. And this sort of overload on the conversations, almost yes. making it sound like it was one of these sort of RPGs. 50% complete. Can that really be ready by November? Well, yeah, I've got like 500 people working on it, though. Yeah, I suppose. It's quite a biggie. I hope it doesn't turn into too much like Metal Gear Solid. Well, I've, I've always kind of hankered a little bit for a Resident Evil RPG. I was one of those sad old 14-year-olds that used to play Dungeons & Dragons. So. Sometimes it can be done. I think Mario did it quite well, didn't it? With, uh, Super Paper Mario, was it? Well, even before that, Super Mario RPG on the SNES, which was one of the last great games on the SNES. Oh, OK. By the way, uh, Ridley, you can't interject at any point. There's no... Sure, no problem. Cool, great. A new Resident Evil 4 Code Veronica 5 bundle is now available in Japan, I believe, on one single disc. Uh, it's Resident Evil 5 Move Edition, or Gold Edition, whatever you want to call it. That's been released. I don't know if that's coming out over here, but there we go. And uh, Also, finally, Resident Evil 2 and 3 is available on the PlayStation Network after many, many years, so that's quite good. Is anyone here just talking of those sort of updated versions? Anyone here played the Code Veronica X HD selection on, on Xbox? I was playing that the other day. I love it, mate. I think yeah, I- totally changes the atmosphere because it just that was the biggest problem with it it just looked so bland yeah i was reading some things on the forum and people were slating it for the uh the cutscenes or something they said it was awful the cutscenes are very choppy very poorly done okay but the in-game graphics are a lot better like the shadows and they've done new water effects and it's just, well, a, just... Lot, a lot darker i had to use the lighter yeah. a lot more this time oh, that, oh yeah you said that's quite that's quite a good thing because I, I, I happened to play a bit of resident evil 4 on the Wii, and the graphics are rubbish it's really yeah. bad. It's not I, that old. I fell out of love with Nintendo when they produced that console. And I even have the components cable for it, which all it does really is just to serve to show you just how appalling the graphics actually are. I, I fear that's the case. I said, I've just bought a component cable. Very cleverly, instead of plugging the white and red one into the back of the TV, that's got, I bought an extension cable this weekend and I plugged into my amp. So I've got a nice clear picture coming out of my super stereo, which is very good. <laughs> The uh, last bit of news, really, is from Newsbot, the Biohazard Mahara Desire, which has been released, or at least some of the comics in Japan. Any news on that, Newsbot? Yeah, it gets released weekly every Thursday, so... Weekly? Weekly, yeah. But oh, they wow. haven't done it last week, I think. I think it's episode one, two, then they've skipped a week. Don't know when three's going to be out, so... Okay, I've fallen even further behind than I realised. How many episodes or releases are there going to be? Do we know? Mm, we don't know. Could be, like, 20 for all we know. And has there actually been an official confirmation that the BSAA partnered with Chris 
in the Resident Evil 6 trailer is the same character, that we there are parallel characters between the two formats, the game and Mahua Desire, because it's Beards Nevins, is it? it? Was there official confirmation that this was the same character? Not official, but if you compare them in the manga and in the trailer, they're definitely the same person. Yeah, same yeah. hair, same face. That lovely cravat that he's got. Yeah. <laughs> I think at this stage, we're all fingers crossed that it's canon. Well, it's actually on the... Capcom Japan Biohazard site along with all the other games, so I'm assuming ah, it will be. Wow. That place is in oh. ahead of Gaiden. <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't even see it there. There is a mention of it somewhere. Oh, nice. Yes. I know the story has been written by Capcom, not like the uh, Prelude to the Fall manga, so first hoping. We've been disappointed before, though, haven't we, Newspot? With um, I think you once proclaimed that the uh, novelizations of Umbrella Chronicles were canon. I got a little too overexcited. <laughs> But there is some good stuff in those Umbrella Chronicles novels, though. I loved the uh, the background stuff with James Marcus and Spencer. That was where he was like, uh, Marcus was working at a Swiss university and he got betrayed by his fellow professors and Spencer had to bail him out with money on the condition that he came to live at the Spencer estate and that's how they ended up researching the stuff that led mm. up to Progenitor and all that stuff. That stuff was interesting. I'd have liked it that was, to yeah. have been canon. But then they got silly with the Wesker controlling. I mean, I always wondered how accurate that was on the translation, but... Yeah, from I mean the one that I got and the one that I read from John was basically that effectively there was sort of almost like his little remote control cars, basically. It was a bit ridiculous. Site news. Jessica's report has been translated and initially a bit disappointing. When I heard about this Jessica's report and having played Revelations myself, I was hopeful that that report would be a little bit more Mm. Um, well, let's just say less pure than the absolute shite that she comes out with in the <laughs> game. Oh, my word. The saving grace, of course, was the fact that, that it was being sent to Tricell. And so uh, John's theory, if you listen to the last podcast, Tricell, Tricell, that proved to be correct. And she is working for Tricell, which is great. So that's up on the site. So um, you can have a look at all the bullshit she does come out with. But still quite a good read. Her sweet ass. And her sweet ass. Actually, uh, talking of that, I put on the site review by Yangtze of Zero Punctuation and he goes off on one about how stupid they're all dressed in the game. Oh, it's ridiculous. Another site news. We've had some generous site donations, so thank you all for that. That comes from everyone at the staff here to keep us going. And the other bit of news, we are moving server. Newsbot, is any updates on that? Yeah, we have moved server. Oh, we have so. moved server. There we go. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so that's super. Yeah, so even less downtime now. Newsbot's been completely reloading videos to the Project Umbrella TV channel now. Yeah, it's just much easier to use. I've done most of the ones we know make more sense in the story, but I'll eventually get everything up. One last thing. Was there... Obviously, there wasn't because you guys would know this, but I thought that there was something on Damnation. I'm sure I saw something. Yes, the release date, I think. I read something on a French Resident Evil website. Biohazard of France. Was it? Yes, yes. Was it October? We heard August 1st, then we heard October, officially. So it should be quite a good autumn. There's a couple of uh, comments from the director and writer on the official site as well. Ah. Biohazardcg2.com. And there's a link for the uh, the English site there, and there's a fancy new logo on it. I'll have to go Um, check that out. There was slight excitement about the supposed Xbox 360 Resident Evil announcement, but it, has that been completely scuppered now with the news that there's that ridiculous Nemesis download? <laughs> Is that what it was? That yeah, yeah, Nemesis mode. Day one, down a little comment. I'm sorry, I four dollars for which isn't. Really... I was naive, and I feel rather moronic. There we go. Great, and that concludes the news.
Let's talk Operation Raccoon City. And I'm afraid, gentlemen, I've had a letter of complaint, and I'd like to read it to you. <laughs> this is a very serious letter. Has it come from Slant 6? No, it hasn't. Dear so-called Project Umbrella, I'm writing at the... <laughs> I love letters that start like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a nasty letter. I'm writing at the obvious bias and unpleasantness that has been directed towards Resident Evil Operation Raccoon City. As a well-respected and much-loved member of the Resident Evil community, albeit someone who has not been active for some time, I feel obliged to complain about the blatant flow of abuse that this game is receiving. I, for one, love the look of the game, and the combat will be fantastic. Sure, there appear to be some inconsistencies with some timeline dates, but it is being blown out of proportion by Project Umbrella and the sensationist podcast participants. I hope this will be rectified in future podcasts. Yours truly, Temp. Well, well, Mr. Temp. Are you serious? This was is, that real? This is the letter I received. Nick, Nick, yeah, Nick is that letter. real? No. I'm doing it I was hoping it was real. I thought, I thought you might, Paul. But no. Oh, it wasn't real. No. <laughs> Temp's an asshole. He is. You gotta, you gotta. T E M P. Yeah, I say he's from Ari Horror. Oh, I don't know him. Oh. Okay. Temp. I'm not seeing him on PU Bar Hayes here. No, he'd be banned. Okay. Right. So yeah, that, that was my funny sketch. Right. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Nice, nice. <laughs> anyway, so um, Operation Raccoon City, quick preview. As we just quickly alluded to, there's a Nemesis mode confirmed, which looks bollocks. <laughs> it does. It generally looks bollocks. And I think, you know, what we discussed last time was that the potential was there for quite a good game. And as so the more we saw of it, the more we saw how jaded it became with the canon. I know, I know it's since been confirmed that it's not really canon, but it doesn't deter from the fact that they could have made it canon. For starters, or they could have just put it somewhere else. The thing that actually depresses me the most isn't so much how appalling the game is, because I can just throw my head in the sand and ignore it, like I did that break file one, but it's what's left for the future. So it's kind of like this is now the death knell on any RE2 remake or any RE3 remake, because you just cannot see them going back to that scenario again. But no. It just seems an awful game to kind of go out on if we're not going to see Raccoon City from that era again. You know, I always had this dream that we're going to remake Resident Evil 2 and 3 on one game. Yeah. And turn out to be this piece of crap so they just ruined it yeah that, that was what I was looking forward to it the most you know seeing the whole Raccoon City saga in one game rather than several titles you know with Jill's story and Leon's story it would have been quite good that was kind of the idea of Resident Evil 3 just expand the universe of Raccoon City and leave it they couldn't have made Nemesis more less frightening if they turned him into a fucking kitten <laughs> It's just not. I have a primary threatening, and he had a look at it, and he seen me play Resident Evil Three, and he thought it looked like one of the Muppets. <laughs> They've made him sound more human the more times they depict him as well, which doesn't help at all. He sounds like a robot in Umbrella Chronicles. Now he just sounds like some guy just groaning. That's because he is a guy. He's a condemned man and not a T103. <laughs> that bit actually's never actually bothered me that much because he could still be a condemned man that they used from somewhere. I wonder what's the connection. Do you remember the Hong Kong comics? Yeah. Uh, I wonder what's the connection between them and the scan Project Omega gave us. It was about the creation of Nemesis. They had this very similar history. Yes, yes. The Nemesis report, which was... Exactly. You know, that it was one. ripped off from a official Japanese guidebook, and but they changed a lot of details in it. The Japanese one references more than one nemesis, and it references them escaping. There's one Hong Kong comic with this nemesis escaping. I don't think yeah. Slant Six have shown too much awareness for any of the main titles, so I, I would doubt they 
I'm more aware of that sort of material. It does undermine my theories for confidential reporters. Really. I was, yeah, you know, <laughs> multiple men- nemesis running around. Well, you know. No, I, I just think we discussed at length last time about the major fuck-ups. And obviously we've just heard the top ten of these. And it, it just continues to get worse and worse. And saying that, though, there is a part of me that is tempted to buy it on opening day. And I, I don't know what it is, because I really don't like these type of games. And I think it's perhaps because it's just got that Resident Evil banner. And I saw it in the shops today. It's coming soon. You know, I'm thinking, you're thinking, am I? And I think I may enjoy it. I almost feel like, like John will appreciate this. I'll keep this to a minimum because it's a football reference. But I almost feel like, you know, when these supporters that just keeps going to see their football team play, no matter how appalling they are. And, um, you know, you're going to buy it because it's a Resident Evil game and there's the curiosity there and there's the relationship yeah. there that, that we've all had for many years with the series. So for those reasons alone, I will buy it and I will buy it with an open mind. My uh, hatred of it's lessened a bit, really, after it's, you know, it's been confirmed as non-canon now. I'm just... Yeah, completely. I mean, obviously, we did go perhaps a slightly overboard last time, but that was before it came out as being, this is a what if. If they had done that from the beginning and said, you know, here's our product, you know, we've taken on board what happened with Evil 2 and 3, but we're just going to do it our own way. It's not canon. It's just going to be a what if. Everyone would have gone, okay. Like a reimagining, like they... Yeah, Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, that sort of thing. Exactly. It wouldn't have wound us all up so much because it just, you know, little bits kept coming out and out. And it was like, well, wait a minute. They've said this is 100% canon. And you're like, no, it's bloody not. Yeah. See, I would have thought that personally to have been be pointless to produce that sort of non-canon game. But you're right, Nick, because if they'd done that, at least I don't think then it would have taken away from the possibilities of a proper Resident Evil 2 3 remake. No, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head last podcast, really, going in the 15th year, why have this when it could have been, again, something far more special, or revelations perhaps on a bigger scale. And I don't mind these spin-offs. I mean, let's be honest, Survivor and, you know, Survivor 2 and Dead Aim aren't exactly survival horror, but... Oh, well, that's for another podcast. <laughs> I, I would, I would dis- with regard to Dead Aim, I really would disagree. Moving on, and I'm pleased to say that we've had a call from one of our Project Umbrella regulars. Member Vito has called in, and let's hear what he has to say. Yes, this game contradicts the canyon like a bitch. Yes, the level design is horrific. You, they turn, they managed to turn William Birkin's RE2 Levator into the fucking high for the first Resident Evil movie. And yes, some enemy designs are very bad and copied straight from the movies as well. Nemesis! <laughs> Sorry about that. And this is where, uh, my worries as a whole for the series, um, begins. This is the first time in a long time an developer outside Capcom has made a game from the series and I just think that this is worrying because the game um, represents how they see Resident Evil. How other people outside Capcom see Resident Evil. I really think that when they were, when Slant 6 were creating ideas for the game, some fucker actually suggested, hey, how, uh, why don't we see the Resident Evil movies? And BAM! They fucking put Nemesis from the fucking movies and the fucking game. And, and this is really worrying for me because when will this shit stop? What if Operation Raccoon City is a success? And Capcom says, hey, why not fucking put Alice in the fucking games? And I mean, I, I think everybody will agree with you that will be a disaster. I will actually have it with the series. I will fucking leave, to be honest. And um, the only positive thing I can get from this game 
and I will agree with Mr. Spencer here, is that it might, well, I hope it will create an awareness of Nikolai. And we finally see him again in a new Resident Evil game. Well, guys, that's all for me, and hasta luego. Great. Okay, um, I, I think we should actually crack on, really, because we need to really have our long, in-depth discussion on Resident Evil Revelations. This sunny and idyllic Mediterranean coast was the site of one of the world's greatest structures. It took a full 11 years to finish constructing the world's first Aquapolis, the floating city of Terra Grigia. A sustainable metropolis operating on a massive solar energy matrix and equipped with the latest green technologies. Never before had solar energy been used to supply power to an entire city. But... In 2004, Veltro, a terrorist group opposing the city's development, launched a bioterrorist attack. They not only released a virus, but also several creatures, known as bioorganic weapons, further complicating the situation. This launched one of the worst tragedies the world has ever seen. The FBC the world's leading counter-bioterror organization operating under the auspices of the U.S. was called in to direct efforts to contain the attack. The BSAA, a counter-bioterror NGO, which operates independently of the interests of any one country, went in as observers to assist the FBC. Realizing the need for immediate and decisive action, Supreme Local Headquarters issued the order to use the city's solar energy matrix on itself. Media outlets around the world began to refer to the incident as the Terra Grigia Panic. Following the incident, the FBC announced it has successfully disbanded the terrorist group called Veltro. It is now 2005, and a sense of calm and security is finally returning to the people. But, as you can see, the lost city of Terra Grigia remains inaccessible, a silent and potent symbol of the threat that bioterror poses for people around the world. It's out. We've all played it, I think, with it, probably the exception of me, actually. I haven't, but I've been watching it. We discussed previously how it generally looks, but now we're going to really go into it. What was everyone's impression of the storyline in particular? Because I know that generates a lot of discussions on every forums around. We discussed earlier, I won't mention it now in sound pompous, but we discussed my education earlier. So I'll make the reference that I have half a brain in my head. But I haven't a fucking clue what is fucking going on. I'm sorry, but... And that's my only criticism about the game, because as you know, I absolutely adore it. But in terms of the storyline and Capcom's, their sort of little helping hand to have those previously on Resident Evil Revelations. I mean, it's like fucking... It's not Coronation Street, you know? know, It's not a soap. So I didn't enjoy that structure. And that structure to me seemed to be just kind of shoehorned in there to overcompensate for this ridiculously overcomplicated story. But then, hey, you know, it's Resident Evil and we'll all thoroughly enjoy 
surmising and theorising on that story. And so far, the most interesting and logical thing I've read is Mr. Spencer's suggestion that is it the FBC is sort of the modern day stars now? No, BSAA. BSAA, sorry, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that that ties in quite nicely, doesn't it, with the um, the fact that they're perhaps funded by the people that are causing the problems in the first place, just like stars were. Yeah. So it's kind of come full circle, rendering it all completely pointless. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it is overly and unnecessarily complicated but it does and I think every reviewer said it the storyline does grip you to the end because they reveal a tiny little tidbit of information even in the stupid sections with Quint or whatever his name is you know with that little hip-hoppy beat in the background yeah yeah Oh, yeah. And I just think it's testament to just how much I love this game and how much class and thinking has gone into this game that there are. And that, and it's great. Actually, I almost enjoy that, that there are these moments in the game that I just think, fucking hell, that is appalling. The dialogue, anything that Jessica comes out with, the female uniforms. I mean, they are fantastic. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Jill's isn't wholly inappropriate, though. I don't know why hers has to be. You know, a little bit of cleavage is one thing, but... Some of these costumes, I mean, they're just straight out of Anne Summers, aren't they? It's just ridiculous. You want to see some of the one unused concepts in the navigation and guidebook. There's one where she's yeah. literally just in her underwear. I know. I um, Yeah, she's yeah. in like a farm, maybe. I think I'm going to find that art book under my son's bed sheets one night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or under yours, George, don't worry. <laughs> I'm surprised there was no additional art for Rachel. It seems like they knew from the beginning that she was going to be a big breasted blonde bitch. <laughs> With stupid hair. Has yeah. that been decided that she, did she lose her eyes and then that's why she was covering them up? Or was that just something that was suggested and then not followed through? It was suggested, but it came true in a different way. She loses her eye after being attacked, so there's no reason for her hair to be in her fucking eyes. But maybe that's because we weren't meant to see her alive, like that, that trailer where she gets attacked. That's probably true. You know, because in-game you don't really see her alive, do you? You just see the back of her head when she gets smashed against the glass, so maybe we weren't supposed to see her pre-infection. Did that remind anyone else of Bioshock? With the, um, I mean, I've not even played Bioshock much, but from some of the cutscenes that I've seen where you have, there's this large, I think the mama creatures, there's these sort of two baddies that are just picking on this little girl that's got this huge protection. And um, no, it, to me, it was almost taken right out of a scene from Bioshock. I would say the whole scene with Rachel is actually one of the better scenes. Obviously, if you're walking down the corridor, it's creepy, the atmosphere's all over, and then you hear a scream. Yeah. And you're like, oh crap, what's that? And then it just builds up, builds up, and it was a good moment. Yeah. I wasn't expecting her to get, like, just full force thrown against the window. It was brutal, wasn't it, the rhythm? Yeah. Not. I mean, it reminded me also a bit of the moment in Code Veronica when you go up and you see the guy being attacked by. Is it a band of snatch or actually a. Albino. Yeah, it's a Bandersnatch. It's fell from the hand. Yeah, it took me quite a few times to see it. Perhaps you can only see it in the HD ones. I don't know. I always just oh, thought it's... The, the, the scientist that's trapped behind the glass. Yeah, you assume it's an Albino. I always cause... thought it was an Albino, yeah. Yeah, that's where they are in there, but it's not. It's a Bandersnatch. How did he get... Okay. Don't ask. Because the idea of the Albino is that he escapes up the thing, the, sort of the access chute. Um, okay. First Bandersnatch you fight in the game is actually the same one that kills him. Because the shutter at the end of the laboratory is the same one that opens whenever Claire is in the training ground thing. Oh, there you go. Can I ask, what's the 3D like in the game? Because I've read reviews that being actually one of the better uses of the 3DS, yeah. of the 3D. How, how, how did everyone... I'm not the best person to ask because generally the 3D, I'm one of these wusses that gets slight headaches from the 3D. But I 
put it on slightly and unlike some other games i've seen like pilot wings for example for the 3ds i thought it was a very good usage you can put it on just subtly to give it that that sort of little dimensional edge and i thought it worked very well personally i i play it without the 3d on but yeah i think i think they've, they've done a good job with that it seems pretty smooth i thought it was nice but i don't know i just you have to have the 3ds in a precise position in order for it not to blur and ghost and everything else yeah i thought it made the graphics quite choppy as well i always had the 3d turned off when i played it yeah there's no anti-aliasing when there's 3d on when it's off it's pretty smooth picture can i just ask is it just my 3ds or do you other guys get the most appalling slowdown when you're opening the doors that have the the handles are styled like um what do you call it (laughs) Those things on boats, the round steering wheel thing. <laughs> That's how nautical I am. Um, I mean, I didn't even know what a bilge was. I keep getting told to go to the bilge. What the fuck is a bilge? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what a bilge was either. <laughs> but those doors with the... Um... Could have just said engine room, and I would yeah. have understood. But that's just because it's loaded in a new area, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to ask something. What happened with Hunk? Hunk? Is there any interview with, with the people that made the game that say something about him? No, he he's just in that first teaser and then absolutely nothing afterwards. Yeah, we said last time it was a placeholder, really, wasn't he? Presumably for the Veltro guy. Seems like the likely assumption, but it's fucking Capcom. You wouldn't know what's um, happening. What did you guys think of the Genesis machine? I like and play Metroid quite often, and for me, they took it straight out of Metroid, and it really belongs straight back in Metroid. I didn't particularly enjoy it. It was a sort of an original kind of take. You know, they're always looking to do something extra and, and, and different in, in a Resident Evil game, and particularly with a survival horror game to try, I think, to distance it from remake. But uh, it just felt, again, just sort of shoehorned into the game, really no proper purpose for me, and kind of detracted almost away from the tension where suddenly you're putting your weapon away and you're suddenly in kind of, you know, Sherlock Holmes mode, just, you know, scouring the whole room to find if there's anything extra there. Uh, I didn't really enjoy it. Yeah, that's pretty much my view as well. It was pretty much just pointless. And it also made it a bit redundant, because obviously in the epilogue at the end, when it talks about Jill and Chris, you know, they're on the next BSAA mission, and they don't have it, of course, which seems ridiculous. Mm. It's like, why would you not have this amazing machine that can detect things that the human eye cannot? You know, and you're about to infiltrate Spencer's home. No, we won't take our best bit of kit. It took away some of the tension as well. Like when you were low on ammo and you had to hide in a room, you could just, you know, scan the plant pot to find, you know, a box mm. of shotgun shells or something. Mm. I, I agree. I mean, as I said, from what I saw, it seemed to be a way of getting a lot more ammo a lot more quickly and perhaps wasn't always as an effective use of the tension because the tension clearly was there. And I, I think a lot of commentators have said that it, this is an amalgamation or a marriage of perhaps the original Resident Evil and Resident Evil 4 put together into a game. And on many levels, it succeeded. Yeah, yes. I would have to agree. It had the uh, atmosphere of the first few games, but mixed with the gameplay of Resident Evil 4 and 5. Mm. And 3, the dodge system. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah, quick turn. Yeah. I wasn't actually expecting that to be in the game either. Other storyline, I mean, the easiest way to do it is... is you want someone to put like a chronology together? I've made a brief list here. Oh, go on then. Feel free to correct me and bear with me because this could be all bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> right. George Trevor submits designs for the Queen's Zenobia. Yeah. I mean, what? Sorry, I'm no. I'm gonna. I don't want to get too overexcited, but who was expecting him to come up again? Just even again. again there's so many little things in this game I that they didn't have to... that reference. It was so good to see it. Yeah, it was yeah, good. Lovely, it was, at least, yeah. right. There's so many little things that I'll sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll speak properly done your thing. Uh, no, it's I right. get overexcited about this game. Uh, 1978, Queen Zenobia is built. 
late 1980s, it's bought out by the Paraguas line, is it? Yep, Umbrella. Spanish for Umbrella. Umbrella. And we don't actually know if it's an official connection to the company, but it is a good explanation as to why to create I would assume it was. Have because, yeah, I would assume it was because the laboratory- laboratories were not built by the FBC. Exactly, just, yeah. Don't see why there, it would be. There has to be a connection. I mean, I think it was some bad localization or something, but I was his umbrella, just the same. Why would you use the same name? But it is also, you can link it back to Dead Aim, like every good game of the Resident Evil series can be linked with Dead Aim. That wasn't <laughs> Paragus line, because one assumes that that was Spencer's personal kind of like flotilla of ship, whereas this was perhaps far more commercial, and uh, that's why it isn't perhaps even Umbrella, because people would query, why, why would Umbrella need a floating ship, but they just call it something different, perhaps, I don't know. I think the Spencer Aim was a private cruise liner for VIPs and all that, while the other three, Zenobia, Dido, and... Whatever the fuck that other one was. Samaralis? Yeah, Samaralis. Yeah. Yeah. I think they have a commercial ones. Yes. Just that, for extra yeah. money and for more, you know, research facilities on the scene. Right, and then we go to the early 1990s, probably about 1993, where, where Terra Grigia begins construction. The news report says it took 11 years to build. And then at some point, Montpellier University in uh, France discover a new deep-sea fish in the Kermadac Trench, uh, 9,000 metres deep. Yep. which is called the Abyss Virus, uh, which has a number of interesting properties. Then we move to 2003 post-Umbrella, where the FBC is founded. Presumably because of Umbrella's bankruptcy, they sell off the uh, the Queen Zenobia and the Queen Zemiramis, and they are somehow acquired by Morgan Lansdale, but that's never really explained properly. And then obviously you've got Morgan Lansdale, who's this fascinating new character, I thought, who was the uh, the head of the FBC, but as well as being the commissioner for the Federal Bioterrorism Committee, he's also the head of something called the National Animal Protection Community. Is he? Yeah, it's mentioned in the FBC charter file, I think. Okay. I think the only reference to that is maybe how he got to know about the Abyss virus, uh, you know, obviously to do with protection of this new endangered deep sea yeah, fish. I, I was a little bemused by all this referencing to preservation of animals. and. Yeah, I think that's just to explain how he found out about the Abyss virus, you know, within okay. this new fish. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you've got the Jeep. PC offering to provide samples of the T virus to combine with this abyss virus to help it create BOWs, which again isn't Why? really. Why would they do that, the GPC? It's never really explained. It must be to. I don't know. Is it definitely them, the order coming from the Global Pharmaceutical Consortium saying, here's the T virus, we want you to make BOWs with this? Yes. That seems silly. I think that's what sort of kicked off all the theories that the uh, Global Pharmaceutical Corporation might be. Uh, somehow connected to the organisation. but Yes, uh, yeah. Okay, so that's that. Then what happens next? Clinical trials begin on the T-Abyss virus. Uh, humans infected become ooze. They have got some antibodies to create a vaccine, but they need some sort of major incident to collect enough data to create a vaccine, which obviously plants the seeds of the Terra panic. When the T-Abyss virus is perfected, the researchers begin to doubt they're actually working for the prevention of biohazard outbreaks and that they may have just created a doomsday weapon. Yeah, no shit show. Then you fast forward to 2004, Terra Grigia is completed. Uh, Lansdale makes contact with a terrorist group called Veltro, who originally were a bunch of college students who've become militaristic. For some reason, they're opposing the city's construction, and Lansdale offers them a deal. If they cause a bioterror outbreak, 
Belcher will become known and feared around the world and the FBC will take all the credit for cleaning it up. Beltro's leader, Jack Norman, accepts this offer but does not trust Lansdale so he makes sure every correspondence they have with him is recorded. Mm-hmm. as like an insurance policy. Lansdale gives eight samples of the TIBIS virus to Norman as well as the three cruise ships, the Queen Dido, Queen Zemiramis and the Queen Zenobia as a sort of base. And they also give them some MA-121 hunters as well, which uh, probably come off the black market. The Queen Zenobia has a uh, unmanned uh, UAV, which will be used to disperse the virus. So then you have the Terra Grigia panic, which lasts, uh, I think you said about three weeks. Which is longer than the Raccoon City incident. Yes. Which is a shame that not more is going to be, well, you'd like to think more could be delved into it and there could be far more, you know, if they want offshoots of games, if they want to do a Revelations 2 or something. You know, there's a three-week window there to put some, you know, add to that part of the storyline. And this is where the BSAA comes into play. At this stage in the story, they're just an NGO. Clive O'Brien comes in to assist, but he's not really given any authority into how events go down. And then comes the first big twist where Lansdale betrays Veltro and deliberately infects the Queen Zenobia and the Queen Zemiramis with the virus, mm-hmm. which kills a lot of the members. And then you fast forward right to the end where they use the Regea Solis uh, satellite weapon to destroy the city. Destroying the city also sinks the Queen Dido, which uh, the Veltro leader Jack Norman is on, but he somehow manages to stay alive for another year, which is a whole other issue. <laughs> And then in the aftermath of the incident, the FBC grow in stature and become more popular. The incident brings the threat of bioterrorism to the world. Uh, and then you've got Parker leaving the FBC and transfers to the BSAA. Once the Queen... Uh, uh, fucking hell, this is complicated. <laughs> Once the Queen Zenobia was infected after the incident, Lansdale's research team seized the ship and sealed themselves down in the lab area. Then you fast forward to 2005, and they actually used the infected ship to gather data on the virus, as well as the data they'd got from Terra Grigia, which eventually leads to the creation of a vaccine. But once the vaccine data has been sent to Lansdale, he double-crosses the researchers by releasing BOWs kept in storage on the ship, which kills them all. And this basically leaves the ship in the state you find it. Raymond Vester, who may or may not be a tricell agent... Meets with O'Brien. Yeah, so Vester and uh, O'Brien begin to plot against Lansdale because they think he's dirty. What the? Here, are you okay? I'm fine, but the ship's crawling with BOWs.
That was flawless. What have they created? We can do this, Chris. And then obviously you've got this whole Veltro revival thing that O'Brien spins. Which I have to say is the most stupidest plan. Does he have absolutely no regard to any of his agents' lives? I know Jill and Chris are good, but I mean, come on, at any point, you know, they could have been killed. And there's just a massive assumption on him. It would work. It's a stupid plan. Yeah, maybe he's been working with Albert Wesker. Any more stupid than some of his ideas. <laughs> One thing I didn't get was when the, uh, in the bilge, or engine room, whatever. When it started flooding, who caused that? It should not have started flooding. There's a fucking stupid ship. Yeah. Is that not explained either? No, not at all. One would assume there was the Veltro guy, but then it turns out that he was Fester, and mm-hmm. it turns out he was good. Why would he try and drown Jill and Parker? It doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous, of course, yeah. I think we've had the... I found a Veltro, the, the What was the Valkoinen? Mach? Machi? I don't know. The airport. <laughs> the airport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, well, I think we have that explained now. Yeah, that's the, there's a lot of discussion on that in the forums. We all seem to miss this one file, which... Yeah, uh, it's in the hallway, the main hall of the Zenobia, whenever you start playing this park towards the end of the game. It's apparently explained in a file found there. Is it? Yep. It's posted, uh, Hunter Alpha posted on posted it on the uh, form. Yeah, it's a really good. It explained a lot of things. But again, there's an assumption that there was perhaps one renegade Veltro member left who did want to forward some plans. Yeah, I assume it's either the remaining members of Veltro mm-hmm. or a bunch of just random Paris guys wanting to use their name for their own personal yeah. shit. Because that's what Veltro get well and truly screwed over in this, aren't they? They're just minor pawns. It's a bit, they, they almost take the role of Leon in Resident Evil 4. It's just bit happened to be there. Yeah, um, pretty much. They're screwed over by all accounts, and they're not the main baddie, but it's very cleverly how all the main players make up that they are. So you feel slightly sorry for them in the end. And I think Norman was actually uh, quite you sympathised. A though. little bit, yeah. A little bit. One thing I didn't get was, you, you know the plane that crashes Chris and Jessica, see? Mm-hmm. It comes from behind Chris and Jessica, who are completely nowhere near the airport. But then when you're playing as Keith and Quint, you see the security footage of the plane actually being destroyed by the hunters. You see that, then you realize that the plane is nowhere close to where it should have it basically crashed. It would have to fly up, turn around, <laughs> turn around again, and then crash. doesn't make any sense. Flabbergasted, I missed this file. I'm just reading it here. All right, we, I think we all were, yeah. I'm so disappointed in myself. <laughs> it's all right, John. It's all right. Yeah, I transcribed all the files, and I missed... I missed it too. I missed the uh, suicide note as well. The means of dispersion? The cruise ship is equipped with a UAV. That is your delivery system. Very well. Now show me the goods. Bonafide tea abyss. No vaccine. Not yet. Yes, of course. A little bit of this could turn a city inside out. I think we're done. I'll be on my way. Who would have thought, yes? That the lowly terrorists would receive a helping hand from the venerable commissioner of the FBC. 
that brings us on to Norman, really, because that's generated a lot of discussion. As to, firstly, you have to assume the premise that somehow he survives under, in the Dido for a year. And the odd thing is that it's underwater, but then there's air pockets. But there's a lot of air pockets, and there's everything still in fully working order down there. Fine. Then, for some reason, you watch that video, which is a good video, of him injecting himself with a tear abyss. Now, the question is, does he? is that taken over a year ago, which suggests that it is? Or it was it taken only a couple of hours ago, which would make more sense than the fact that he then, when you see him, he's sitting on his chair, going a bit loopy, and then drinks some tea abyss and then mutates. The video suggests that he's been taken tea abyss and then survived a year underwater, effectively, but has not mutated into his tyrant-like creature. So that's a bit of a plot hole as well. Yeah, the game, the story is flawed in that it offers absolutely no dates for any of the events that are going on yeah. at all. So you're left to speculate whether it happened in a short time frame or if it happened over the entirety of 2005, because we don't even know when the game is set. So it could be early 2005, late 2005, we just don't know. It's frustrating, really, because, as I said in the last podcast, a lot of these games just aren't giving us enough dates to work with. And it's important, and I think Capcom should know this. You know, they know website, not just ours, but obviously Ty did his original timeline. And I think he even got a, when he, because he was the first guy to do it, he even got a little mention by Capcom, if I remember correctly. About there does it. seem to be a disparity between the quality of the gameplay and the um, the level of forethought that actually went into the storyline and placing it within the context of the Resident Evil story. Because so- I, I agree with you, because, because, but as an actual game and the gameplay and some of the nods to the previous games, it, it really, really has been fought through and some real proper efforts gone into it. Exactly. The, the quality control is there to yes. link, it, link it in with the games. But in their own kind of world, it made sure it overly complicated. One other thing that bothered me as well about the whole Veltra revival thing was when exactly was Norman's threat to the BSAA. Yeah, that's never explained either. The entire video of him flooding a small aquarium with Tibis, it's never shown when he recorded it or when it was sent to the BSAA. I assume if he sent it right before Terra Grigia, you know, to claim responsibility for the incident, the BSAA would have known it's already been sent. They would have seen it before. I mean, the only thing I could think of was, um, obviously the FPC raid the Queen Dido, don't they? Because they find the, uh, the globsters on the beach. And they realise that uh, they've come from the ship and that might, someone might still be alive. And I think there is a timestamp on uh, the FBC's mission on the Dido from the last surviving member who records the dictaphone. Are they those giant vaginas? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously Morgan and the, uh, uh, sorry, Norman and the surviving Veltrol members on the ship kill all the FBC team. And maybe that's when he made his broadcast. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, in that recording, it says the devil himself or something is attacking them, which again suggests that he is a kind of mutated creature. But he made the guy who made the recording said something like the time is now 1948 or something, and when the actual threat comes through, it's something like 10 past 9. Oh, right, okay. But it, I'm, I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> so You may have noticed I've gone rather quiet during this discussion of the storyline of Revelations. <laughs> Putting the storyline to one side, because I haven't completed it yet, and just listening to Neptune and Batman now, um, it, it appears to be getting even more complicated. But the mention, the reference before to maybe this is a mix of the old survival horror and the new action game, I don't really see it like that. I just see it as a pure survival horror game, and I see the faster sequences in it. They don't bear any resemblance to the faster sequences in Resident Evil 5, 
just sort of the melee attack with the multiple hunters that happens in the lobby as you're waiting for the elevator to arrive. There's fast action there, but the whole setting, I don't buy the idea that it's survival horror with action, you know, action added on top. The whole scenario of waiting in the lobby with the elevator to arrive, because of the setting and the tense nature of that battle, I just found it pure survival horror. Very satisfying blasting the hunters with the shotgun. I thought that they were very detailed and I really enjoyed the, the design of them in this game. They really put some thought into it because you've got the use of what I really thoroughly enjoyed from Resident Evil 4, the small section with Ashley using the torch when she's um, surrounded by the suits of armour. And I know that's used a lot in Silent Hill. I really enjoy that technique. It, it really does grip the player. That It's very tense. It, I enjoy the fact that you can't see three quarters of the room and you're just sort of focused on a little part and so you don't know what's happening behind you. And they, they employ that in this game for the sections where without that, the sort of rather bland and metallic, the corridors, they employ it there. And then when you don't have that torch, the corridors, the sections with you, it's just straight out of The Shining. They're phenomenal. And the detail that they've used, it's straight out of Remake and the, and the plug out of the, the bathwater and the uh, you know there, there's some some real thought has gone into this and i just really enjoyed the fact that capcom were brave enough to take something blatantly out of remake and put it in this game and, and it works perfectly yeah definitely and it sets a good precedent in my eyes for future games coming out on it and i know since it's been released the producers of the games have said you know he's interested in doing more on the 3ds which is a very good thing because it makes it makes it worthwhile actually buying a 3ds if you only generally buy consoles for resident evil games which i'm afraid i fall into that category well for me there were quite a few literally jump out of your seat moments everyone references the dogs bursting through the spencer mansion windows and there were those moments in this game and they weren't just sort of generic kind of you know things just jumping you know smashing through windows they were really unexpected horrors and there were a couple of moments when i shit myself <laughs> for that, that that second i mean the first mutation that you come across i think it's really unnerving that that body with the really skinny arm and the other arm that's really fat oh i just sort of was staring at that and it, it really sort of made me shiver they are turning actually more into silent hill type creatures aren't they the ooze was quite looked like it could have come out of Silent Hill. Well, the movement, that was it. Thanks, Nick. There's one moment where you take over as Jill again and you're walking through the the corridors which are lit and they're, they're really quite sinister and you're, you you come across a T-junction ahead of you and as you come towards it, there's that ooze that walks across without noticing you. The, the movement, that stilted movement was straight out of those, I don't know what they're called in Silent Hill, those nurses that, that you get. Uh, um, the, the busty nurses. Yeah, yeah the busty, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I enjoyed that and, and elements of that, that, you know, if they're taken out of Silent Hill, if they're taken from previous Resident Evil games, I don't mind because they made the survival horror, the tenseness and the atmosphere. You know, it just made me re realise, you know, Capcom really do know what they're doing and then they do remember what they've done and they do remember what they've done well. Mauricio, have you played Revelations? Um, in fact, no, but I watched some videos on YouTube. I actually yeah. like a lot of the gameplay I saw. It was really perfect match of what they want with horror and action. They nailed it. I think so, yeah. I mean, that's what we were just saying. It's, it's a good blend of both the incarnations of Resident Evil and certainly it's obviously a bit more action even perhaps Lost in Nightmares, but it's a step in the right. I'm not sure how much of it came out before you can cut this bit out, Nick, but I, the action in this game, I don't see is the same type of action that we had in Resident Evil 5. For example, the cabin battle in Resident Evil 4, the tenseness of that, you know, mm. that's wave upon wave of, um, well, there, there were POWs, but uh, Gnandes and things, but just because of the setting and the pace of the action, 
and the, the, the limited amounts of ammo. It's a completely different experience. And, and that's the type of action that, that I felt was in this game. It, it wasn't just, you know, enemies after enemy, which you're just blasting minus in there. You know, there, there's the setting there, like when I said, waiting for the elevator. I, I just thought it was, it was really, to me, that they really put some thought into those sections. And so I just felt it all flowed as one survival horror game. I also liked a lot the different settings of the game. I like the the sinking ship, the Queen Idol. It you can't escape really. You can go back. Uh, yeah. I really liked it. And that was the addition I thought was actually quite good. The underwater sections I thought was actually a good moment and um I was I found, I found the controls a little irritating. I, 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 I can't comment on that, but I thought they certainly added to it to the overall atmosphere and it's good that, you know, for an aquatic based virus they did actually have aquatic moments. Although he um, seems to suffer from the uh, Mario syndrome of not worrying about air. I fell victim to that, thinking, with every thought they put into this game, did they really just leave it so you can just swim continuously underwater? And then after about five minutes, I ran out of breath and died. Oh, do you? Oh, good. And, I have... and then the most useful information Capcom have ever given in the game is, you will die if you don't breathe. <laughs> Comes up, so uh, that was quite useful to know, actually. Which is contrary to most of the things in, in, in Resident Evil. So there is a limit on it, but it's, it's so ridiculously long, it's kind of, what's the point of having that limit? Implications, I've got in my notes. What are the general implications of the overall storyline? I mean, I think I alluded to previously, it'd be nice to have the Tearbiss back, but I don't think that's going to come back. But what we have got is perhaps the uh, re-establishment of Tricell. We discussed last time in Biohazard 6, and I know, Batman, you're concerned about who are the main bad guys now. But because of this one picture, it's looking like, at least, that Tricell are going to be involved in Biohazard 6. And this could be perhaps one of the long-term implications of Revelations, is that bringing them back into the people's mindset, I suppose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking it might just be a cheap way for it to tie into Biohazard 5 myself. I think it was an afterthought more than anything else. Well, that's it fine. Seem kind of shoehorned and yeah. rushed. But I do think Jessica will be back because uh, I think we about 80% sure that she is the woman in the uh, releases the virus in the Mahawa Desire comic. Do um, we know what why she does that? Not yet, no. We don't know who she works for yet either. She's just walking around in a poncho with this cube in her hand that's apparently a radio somehow. Okay. That figure that we see at the beginning, just outside the school, that releases the virus on that little, you know, as that little electronic device that she's got, that's Jessica. We think it is. It definitely looks like her. Okay. I've not looked. I don't know if she's got a sweet ass. I have to look next time. Do you think it was nice if that was Ada instead of Jessica? It seems that Ada works for a good corporation, while Jessica doesn't. She always does bad stuff, and Ada is kind of neutral. She is, isn't she? She's she doesn't really, you know, she goes along and fucks up some people, but she never does anything to perhaps... Actually, bad. Yeah, exactly, yeah. The problem is, is that Ada's being good or bad was pretty much an afterthought into Resident Evil 4. When it came out in the GameCube, everyone assumed she was just another pawn of Wesker, judging by assignment data. And then the PS2 version comes up, and that's changed completely. Assignment data and separate ways are written by different people and have different endings, different openings, and basically just overall different implications for the series. So I would like to see the... Do you remember, Paul, the scans I sent you about uh, Famitsu? The one about uh, the interview about minigame with Ada on Resident Evil 4? Yes, yes, remember that. We'll probably need to get higher quality scans first and then we can send them off for translation. Hopefully there'll be something interesting in them. The bad side of it is it was a weekly publication and it was like on the 38th 
issue, they had this interview and they had interviews for like very issues before. So there's a lot of information we don't we don't have. Yeah, Japan gets all the good shit. Who's our man in Japan? I get the Mahaba Desire manga from CVX Freak. Oh, right, okay. That's about it. <laughs> He's on that, okay. One thing I wanted to mention, going back to Revelations and the survival horror element, I think it would have worked much better as a game and would have certainly upped the tension if you were a standalone character because this partner system, as you all know, other than getting in the way and the fact that your own partner's ammunition has no effect, well, it kind of stuns the enemies, doesn't it? But it doesn't kill them. They can't, your partner can't independently kill any of the bowels. So to me, their presence is rather pointless other than really detracting away from some of the tension because, you know, you had someone else with you. I've had that issue since Resident Evil Zero. The best parts of Zero were when you were alone and without having a stupid zapping system. Mm. And as the games have gone on, they've just constantly introduced people to go around with at the same time. And... But I'm shavering Resident Evil 5, obviously she can kill enemies, but from what I could gather, none of the partner systems in, in Revelations, you know, other than to serve to just make these awful, appalling little quip lines, you know, this, this awful dialogue, they, they don't do anything. I mean, they stun, they can stun the enemies and sort of push them back, but they can't kill them. You can have those glitches where you can just stand in a corner and just watch your partner continually, you know, lump ammo into a, into a bow and it, and it just it's effectively, you know, it cannot die. That was one of the charms of the first game, wasn't it, you know? exploring the mansion and running into one of your team members who was still alive, you yeah. know, rather than have them follow you around the entire game. Personally, I hope they ditch the co-op stuff completely, but by the looks of things, they're not in six. Leon is with... Helena. Helena Harper and Chris is with a whole fucking squad. I hope it doesn't draw too much inspiration from Operation Raccoon City, which obviously is going to be a pure multiplayer, which is fun. But I hope six doesn't go well they're doing it why don't we have you know a team of like with chris with five people on the team and you get to micromanage all five of them or something because yeah doesn't come true that'd be shit that'd be so awful and for a main game for one of the main numbered games that would be diabolical speaking of uh characters revelations obviously has a lot so what did you guys think of all the uh the new faces i liked o'brien i really liked o'brien uh, i liked o'brien raymond's was a little annoying I really didn't like Quinton Jackass. It was, oh. but uh, no, I mean, I mean, O'Brien was actually a very interesting character, and yeah, I, I mean, a lot of thought had gone into his, you know, his personal, personal, you know, the dynamics between him and, and his own agents and the FBC chat. So yeah, there, there, there were a lot of thought went into that. He, he was a good character, and he was one of the original eleven, wasn't he, of the BSAA? So that's quite, you know, again, nice little link back to Resident Evil Five. I think the whole kind of his setup in the FBC. I know he's in the BSA, but in the tower, I like that you see normal kind of like proper offices kind of being infiltrated by hunters and things like that. Which I thought that was quite a nice little, you know, considering we, we all hoped back in the days the big assault on Umbrella headquarters and stuff, we never kind of got that. I suppose that was our kind of moment of uh, BOWs attacking official headquarters. But O'Brien was cool. I thought he, he was quite a well-rounded character, except for his stupid plan. Did everyone else? I thoroughly enjoyed the talking bells. I know we've, I mean, we've had. Nemesis. It's your accent. I keep thinking you keep saying talking barrels. <laughs> Have you been playing got... too much Donkey Kong or something? <laughs> so yeah, we've got the talking bows. Um, <laughs> I'll do another impression. This is the Queen Zenobia. <laughs> I've been doing that all week and really freaking out my dogs. Um, I think that that was really that was obviously an appalling impression, but I loved the the things that the bows came out with. You know with lamenting sort of the, like their last words before they died, before they were infected. Um, the, the, um, I just found it quite frightening, actually. I thought it, it, was, it was really quite sinister. 
and almost kind of like a little almost window into their, their past humanity. But that was good because it was explained why they were still talking. They didn't just talk randomly like half the other ones. Well, that talk, you know, that if moving on to Norman as a character, he could somehow talk, even though he had no orifice to do so. Again, I thought he was a really good character, but this kind of speech thing, I didn't quite get how. Yeah, Sergei was the same. They have no throat, they have no mouth. How do they talk? It's just impossible. Yeah, it's a silly oversight. And as I said, the, the other ones, it made sense. And I thought that was quite a good touch. I wouldn't be surprised if they do that again in the future. I certainly take the point whether it can make sense or not in terms of the biology. I mean, for me, it, it certainly added to the, the sinister atmosphere. Well, I suppose it started in Resident Evil 4, really, didn't it? Maybe Nemesis, but Resident Evil 4, you had them go, Lord Sadler, things like that. And oh, that, the, yeah, the bald giggling guys. That was really creepy. And especially yeah. when you're in Resident Evil 4, you go to the castle for the first time, you're wandering around the corner and you can hear the monks go chanting some incarnation or something, and you have no idea where they were. And that was quite freaky. Lisa Trevor. Mother... Yes, I've got another one. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's been good, and I think if they keep it perhaps to that level where they can't, you know, you can't have a dialogue with some character, <laughs> then, it, then um, it works very well. And as you said, it, it certainly added to the tension and the atmosphere of the game. Lansdale's a good character. Yeah, and I'm pleased they didn't kill him at the end. Yeah, he's quite good. Cool. I, I doubt he'll come back, but you never know. He's locked up in the same place as uh, Frederick Downing, I think. I like that actually. I actually sometimes prefer characters not necessarily dying. But, you know, just being captured and entertained. That was a weird thing about this game as a whole. No one died. Yeah, they fake out a lot. I was really Didn't hoping Parker. for Parker. Oh, to are you dead. telling me Parker doesn't get barbecued? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I was hoping he does. Sorry, mate, I forgot you'd not finished it. <laughs> I'm not finished it, mate. How the fuck does he survive that? He falls into fire while what injured. You... Have we got any other points once raised about Revolution? What about the creatures? The uh, in- invisible hunters were cool. I like the using the Genesis scanner on them. That was that was good. Is there any explanation as to how? Because obviously another person has this mode without ruining it. Is there any explanation how this is possible, or are we assuming it perhaps is similar to Wesker's movement of actually really fast as opposed to? They are invisible, but it's explained that it's from an aquatic attribute, some aquatic creatures, because TFS is based on aquatic animals and shit. Okay. It says it's a carryover from that, but we don't know any more than that. Yeah, it can mimic its surroundings. Oh, okay. So, so it's a bit like a chameleon-esque. But... Like a deep sea, you know. Like an octopus, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's testament to the bows that we don't... That I certainly didn't miss and completely forgot about that initial zombie that we got, you know, with the sort of breath, the kind of roar that he's doing. Did we get in the very first Revelations trailer where we see that sort of zombie creature? I certainly didn't miss that. I thought they were really, really good. Like I said, we mentioned before the stilted movement. They were kind of based a little bit, the use on the regenerators, which I thought were the most frightening monsters from Resident Evil 4. And so I, I thought some of them were very well thought through and very well designed. Personally, I was annoyed because I read an interview that they had planned to do some sharks. And I, I would love to, <laughs> I'd, love to have, I'd love to have seen another Neptune. That would have been quite cool. But there we go. It's a good virus, though, and kind of turned them into... Because they're anglerfish, really, aren't they? If you look at them, they, they seem to be reminiscent of a perhaps half half coelacanth, half anglerfish. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's where they got the inspiration for the original fish. That the angler. The abyss, yeah, that the abyss virus is discovered in. Yeah. But it says the uh, gyozo, I think, is what you call them, the fish. Gobies, they... yeah. Gyozo is Italian for gobies. Isn't it? Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, did it? No, but yeah, they say that those fish resemble the same fish that the abyss virus came from. So, so apparently, T abyss just turns every single fish known to man into the original fish. 
Well, this is just my... Uh, I have my own fish at home. <laughs> well, no... Have you been experimenting on them? <laughs> well, I, I, I've acquired a virus. Because it's a gyozo is a goby, I doubt they've done this. There is a um, type of goby called the dragon goby, which you can grow to about 30 centimetres long, but it actually looks like a snake type thing. I know that's not what the tibis fish is, but if you look at the face of these things, they are well fucked up. And they look like miniature anglerfish with all the teeth and stuff. And you have to kind of hand feed them in your home aquarium. They're nasty fuckers, but they look quality. So so, um, you know, there you go. So there is a goby, at least with the gyozo goby, uh, that has at least facial characteristics. But yeah, they're quite cool. Um, I'm not sure about the others. Like, isn't the one of the end bosses the a parasite thing? Yeah, the uh, malacata. And that's that giant thing at the end of the Zenobia, isn't it? Well, malacata is the uh, parasite itself. The whale is just a secondary infected host. I think it's the biggest boss in general, in the series to date, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, rem- it reminded me a bit of the, the U8 from Resi 5. Yeah, much, much bigger than that, I think. Yeah, but it was similar, though, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, that's one thing I think the game could have done without. I didn't like them, uh, the shooting sections where you're on the boat or the, the helicopter, you know, shooting at it with the uh, mm. the guns. It's, you didn't need it, I didn't think. Now, we've ruined this all for, for George, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, that was obviously lifted straight out of Resi 5, with where you fight Irving, isn't it? It's a nice cameo by the uh, pilot. It is him, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was, yeah. I was not expecting it at all. But no, it, that's great. So, as we said that earlier, there's an element of quality control gone into this, which is highly... Is it, would this be a pilot from Resident Evil Four, five, not earlier then. No, it's not Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Mike. Poor old, poor old Mike. <laughs> it's not Art Thompson either. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Barry either. And one day Mike will have that beer. <laughs> oh dear. Honestly, when that happened in the game for the first time, I was crying with laughter. It was ridiculous. Mike! <laughs> Mike! <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Brilliant. It's cringeworthy. They're so funny. Did anyone play raid mode? I did. I played it quite extensively. There's raid mode and hell mode, isn't there? Yeah, raid mode's the uh, mini game that's basically the replacement for mercenaries. Okay. And hell mode is basically just hard mode. Oh, okay. For the campaign. Well, I won't be going on to hard mode. <laughs> <laughs> I played a bit of Dead Aim the other day. But me, I did, it on, I did it on normal. I braved it and went on to normal. And I was literally on my hands and knees by the time I got to the first save room. <laughs> I thought, oh my god, this is so difficult. There was um, what seemed to be quite a couple of, I don't know if they were just coincidental because obviously they both take place on cruise liners, but they did seem to me a couple of little nods to Dead Aim, a couple of uh, connections. Not in terms of the canon, but just um, some little gameplay matches. Well, the bow whose name escapes me in Dead Aim, the huge fat thing that's kept down in the... Pluto. That's it, yes. He seems to bear a resemblance with um, one of the monsters in Revelations, I thought. Skagdad. Yeah, that's the one. The comms officer guy. Yeah. The Sea Creeper looks a bit like Morpheus as well, I think. Which one's Sea Creeper? You know, the underwater... Yeah. Females. The one with the kind of, that looks a little bit with the, like, alien type Yeah, edge. she's got like a little sort of silver carapace thing that reminds me a little bit of Morpheus. Morpheus and his breasts. Okay, and now it's time for this. Five questions, three participants, and one topic. It's Neptune and Newsies Biohazard Quiz.
and welcome to Neptune and Newsy's Biohazard Quiz. Unfortunately, Mr. Spencer decided not to turn up to this podcast, so we... I can take the place of Mr. Spencer, I'll just type all my answers in some <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think, Ridley, did you want to take part instead of Mr. Spencer? Um, I've got the five questions here, it's probably a bit too late to change them, so if you take the place of Mr. Spencer, you're on three points, and then we'll just, we'll pretend you're him. <laughs> Okay. Mr. Spencer's Resident Evil knowledge has suddenly gone through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, a quick recap of the scores after um, the last podcast. George Trevor, you're currently on three points. Mr. Spencer slash Ridley, you are currently also on three points. And Batman, you are on nine points. So what we'll do, uh, we'll go through the five questions. Oh, sorry. Oh, my God, sorry. My phone's going. Hold on. Oh, shit, it's the founder. I better answer it. Hold on. Hello? <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry, it's the fan. Yes, okay. You're happy, you're happy, yeah. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> oh, apparently I've been handing out incorrect scoring from the last podcast. <laughs> oh. oh, I see, okay. <laughs> right, I'll do that, sir. Sorry about that. I'll amend straight away. Thank you, goodbye. <laughs> well, guys, that was the uh, phone call from the boss. And apparently, Batman, I've given you one too many points. Really? You, apparently so. And um, I will check now. Yes, yes, it does appear that was the case. The question last week, the founder told me, was the question on tofu. What does tofu stand for? The answer being tyrantized object fabricated soybean, uber whatever. And you did not tell me that, apparently. And this is what the founder noted. You said tyrantized fabric soybean. So therefore, you were incorrectly given that as correct. I, I've been told by the boss that you have to be deducted a point. Fuck off. Well, <laughs> you can't speak to the founder like that. No, I, I don't make the rules. So you're on eight points now, according to the founder. If you, you know, you, you, perhaps you need to PM him if, if you're unhappy. Batman, you're on eight points. Mr. Spencer on three. George Trevor on three. So we'll start with question number one. Name the village in Resident Evil The Dark Side Chronicles. Ah. Can you hear me okay, Ridley? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So you might want to write, write down the answer. Remember, you're playing on behalf of Mr. Spencer, so you've got to do him proud. Right, everyone got an answer there? Yeah. Okay, question number two comes from Welsh. He's emailed me with one. And it's half a point. Name two of the items the stars recovered from the mansion. There's four possible answers. I only want two. Half a point for each. Great. Question number three. I was inspired by George complaining last week that the tofu question wasn't actually about Resident Evil. So this one actually isn't. In what <laughs> I feel sorry for Ridley here, he probably won't know this. In what music video by UK funk group Gorillas <laughs> is the lead singer, Damon Albarn, wearing a T virus T shirt? Name In which video actually you do? You do oh <laughs> there we go. So name the music video by the Gorillas where the lead singer, Damon Albarn, from Blur, is wearing a T virus T shirt. Uh, question number four is from Newsbot. Do you want to read it out? What kind of button, like a shirt button, is on the coat of the T-103 tyrant? Every week this quiz just pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Did you all hear that okay? Could you repeat that one more time, please? What kind of button is on the coat of the T-103 tyrant? <laughs> and finally, question number five. What was the development name of the liquor? before Biohazard 2 was released. <laughs> Met with stunned silence. And that concludes the quiz, so join us after this when we'll run through the answers. 
I didn't like RE Horror. I didn't like Bioflames. I find their sites outdated, and that's a crying shame. For Project Umbrella is better. It has the truth you see. Ignore the made-up bullshit on the Resident Evil wiki. And welcome back to the quiz, and we'll just go through the answers now and see what everyone's got. Question number one was name the village in the Dark Side Chronicles. What did you put? Batman. Mixcortal. I don't know how you pronounce it, but something like that. Okay. Uh, Ridley. Wasn't uh, Amparo? Amparo. And George Trevor. Some village somewhere in South America. <laughs> Do I get half a point for that? <laughs> <laughs> I thought this would trick out the Batman, but he's got the answer correct. It is actually mixed couple, mixed couple. Oh. I thought he'd put Amparo. Is that in one of the files, then? Yes. Okay. It says, I don't know who writes it, but it says we'll be taken to the village of mixed couple. It's in the kind of region of Amparo, Ridley. Oh. Is it the regional oh. country? Yeah, Amparo is a small country in South America. Small country, okay. But there we go. So the points to the Batman, then. Question number two was name two of the items the stars recovered from the mansion. There's four possible answers. George Trevor, what have you got? Well, I put the Wolf and the Eagle medals, okay. along with the Red Book as well. But only on the basis that it's kind of argued that those are seen in the stars office in Resident Evil 2. Okay. Batman, what have you got? Yeah, the same as George. I remember Welsh making a thread. Is there a box next to Chris's desk? Yeah, yeah. All in. Ridley? Wasn't it the Golden Emblem and the Red Book? Points for Ridley. It is the gold. Oh. It's gold. That's what I said. The gold no. and the red book. Oh, and I said that's points the... for everyone. I think. Yeah. My answers are different though. This is according to Welsh. You, I've got gold emblem, the red book. Yeah. The slideshow, you know, with all the people on the it. The gold emblem and the red book are in a little wooden box just by the bottom of Chris's desk. And something called yeah. Earth, but I don't know what that was. Chemical. The chemical. So they're the apparent answers. So that's points all round then. What did Ricky say? Redley got Gold Emblem and the Red Book. There was um, the Stars Office? Yeah. yeah. Is that points all round? Subject to the founder's phone call later in the week to you, I think that's points all round. I, I think, okay, fine, points all round there. Yeah, points all round. Question number three, in what music video by the Gorillas is the lead singer wearing a T-Virus t-shirt? Batman. See, I disagree with this question. I do, because I know the answer, but it's got nothing to do with my knowledge of Resident Evil. <laughs> it's because of, I like the gorillas. It's just a, to- it's a total guess. Uh, Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood? George yep. Trevor? Well, it's not a guess, but uh, Clint Eastwood as well. I think the Batman's right. And Ridley, what did you put? Actually, yes, Clint Eastwood. Oh, points for everyone. But I, despite the fact that I need these points to catch up on John, I think that that question should be voided and we should replace in its place Ridley's question. But Ridley's already got a question on it on the quiz. Do you want me to ask another one? I can ask another one. What defeats the whole point? Well, he's a special guest. I suppose he can get, yeah. you know... Paul, he's already got one. Question five is his question. <laughs> but can I do, okay, can I put in a request for future, for future questions? Even though it's less likely that I'm going to get them right if they're about Resident Evil rather than the gorillas, but I think we should steer clear of these rather frivolous sort of, you know. To be fair stuff. though, in, in pop culture, there's only that, and I would have thought the episode of Spaced, which is quoted all of Resident Evil 2. Uh, question number four was from Newsbot, which was what type of button is on the coat of the T103? Ridley. An umbrella button? Batman? Yeah, he's got a little umbrella lapel. George? I bet that's the right answer. I didn't know. I had no idea. 
There's points as well. It's Batman, Ridley there. And finally, question number five was, what was the development name of the liquor before Biohazard 2 was released? Batman? Um, what, as in, as in concept-wise? Yeah, it was given a specific name by the development team. Oh, I've not got a clue. Yes, we found it once you don't know. The joy in your voice, then, Nick. <laughs> George, do you know? <laughs> no, I'm going on to buy flames now, but it doesn't say there. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's a very good, that's a good question, actually. I, I didn't know. Ridley, do you know this one? Yeah, he was called Aoyama. Correct. Director of Biohazard 3 and planner from Biohazard 2. He got an old port for motion capture. They jokingly used that name for Lika. So there we go. Points. Somewhat strangely there for Ridley. After the episode... So, so John gets the points on the Lika, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> there's, something, there's something dodgy there. Do I? Oh, you? No, you didn't. Oh, really? Did I say no, not John. I mean, I'm Mr. Spencer. Yeah, so Mr. Spencer gets those points. Mr. Spencer gets all those points, yeah. He seems to do a lot better when he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> he's done well there, hasn't he? He's done very well. And without the use of Wikipedia this week as well. <laughs> well, that means after this quiz, uh, Batman, you've got an impressive four. Mr. Spencer also got four. George Trevor, you've got three. Which means, Batman, you are currently leading with 12 points. Mr. Spencer slash Ridley, you're on seven. George Trevor, you are now on six. Ridley, can you represent me next week? <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. I'm not going to turn up next week. Ridley can answer my questions. I could, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you all for playing, and that concludes the quiz. Very good, very good, gentlemen. Good questions. I thought the mixed coat one would get a lot of you. I'm just pissed off that I knew the answer to the stupid Clint Eastwood one, and I didn't know the answer to the, you know, Beta Liquors. Well, it's you know. quite a hard question, though. Yeah, no, it was, it was. I'm surprised, actually, more people knew the Clint Eastwood, because it's not exactly well-known, is it? Oh, I just guessed. You get, yeah. If you watch it again, it's a big T, big red T on the T-shirt. You wouldn't know it says T-virus, but if you look carefully, it just says virus on the, on the top of the T. But there we go, and now we can look forward to episode three. That's going to have more love or hate for Operation Raccoon City, isn't it? It's going to be, yeah, I think the the general focus will be on Operation Raccoon City. Um, obviously, by then, I think it would have probably come out. When's it due out? Is it 26th? 20th in America, 23rd in Europe. Okay. There's later on, I think even going into April, there's a, a Japanese special edition, isn't there, with a concept art book that I've got my eye on. It's a collector's edition. It's on the Xbox 360 and PlayStation. It comes with uh, the, the main thing, is this concept art book. Oh, Operation Raccoon City? Fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind one of them uh, Welcome to Raccoon City signs, the uh, Americans can get. Yeah, because they were just taken from Dark Side Chronicles. Mm. But uh, we get nothing in Europe, as usual. There is a special edition coming out, though, isn't there? With... No. Isn't there not nothing? Nothing. I'm sure. Oh, okay. not, not even a metal tin. <laughs> to have those metal tin. Well, we didn't get a lot more. I think in the Resident Evil 5, I've got the limited edition version, which just has what making of DVD with it, isn't it? Yeah, making of DVD. Yeah. Yeah. Although I did get a um, the Executioner action figure. Did anyone ever get, back in the day, that Resident Evil 4 controller? If you tried to play it with the game, it was just useless. The um, the chainsaw, yeah, that plugged into the GameCube. I'm looking at it now. Because uh, the thing is, the thing where you have to press the A and the B button really, really quickly. Yeah. 
just doesn't work with that controller because of where they're placed. I remember once I have some friends over and we're all playing Mario Party and um, we didn't have enough controllers and I was like, hold on, I'll have to get out of the chainsaw. <laughs> Ruin the atmosphere. <laughs> and, and, you know, when you're playing some you know, fancy game with like Mario and Yoshi jumping around on bullet bills, I go, hold on, I've got to get out of this beast. <laughs> How comes this whacking great chainsaw controller? I thought the one on the PlayStation 2 was better. Didn't that come with a... Yeah, the- Ignition. Was, I think it was slightly redesigned the PlayStation One. From it was certainly looked different because I think the GameCube one's yellow. And yeah. From what I remember, I might be wrong. I think the PlayStation One's red. But um. There's also a black one. I know Dot Fifty Cow had one. Okay. I think that's quite a collector's edition. That. Yeah. Great. So um, the next uh, podcast, which should be um probably either at the end of March slash beginning of April, we'll be looking at Operation Raccoon City in great detail. I'm hoping that there's going to be a bit more love for it. Well, it would be certainly would be it would be a nice surprise if there was certainly something about this game that we could all take from it that we enjoy. Yeah, you know, I, wishful thinking. I think though, just because it has now come out as it being non-canon, I think everyone will look at it in a completely different way and perhaps just look at it on its merits. But the only problem is a lot of people who've played it says it sucks as an actual squad-based shooter anyway. Is there any reviews of it yet? Because it's only two weeks away. I haven't read any. I mean, there's lots of previews and stuff, and a, a, a lot of the previews are all just going, hmm, you know, looks quite nice, but they complain about the AI, you know, and it's like well behind its time against other squad-based shooters with like enemies just, you know, not going behind cover and things like that. Real basic stuff. I suppose we just have to wait and see. I think from our perspective, we won't really, well, my, my perspective anyway, I won't really know the difference because I don't play enough squad based shooters or ever. So. No, I've not played any of them, but I think John's got quite a lot on that, hasn't he? Because he, he sort of hasn't he played the, um, the games that would depict softcom stuff himself. Yes, he said last time, didn't he, that Left 4 Dead would be a better game anyway. So, anyway. Well, uh, on that note, I think um, we shall finish the podcast. Thank you all very much for listening, and we'll look forward to uh, hearing from you soon. If you've got any other um, comments you'd like to send in to us, that's great. We've obviously had one today from Vito. And it's goodbye from me, Neptune. Goodbye from me, Batman. It's goodbye from me, George Trevor. And can I just say I have been playing with a head injury today. And it's goodbye from me, Newsbot. And goodbye from me, Ridley. <laughs> <laughs>